we'd just taken a big jump to upscale and then the world ran out. Getting your designer gear worn by the Prime Minister on the front page of Time magazine is no protection against COVID-19, especially in the year of the elasticated pant. Within five weeks, we were in a position where we were out of cash, had heaps of stock, owed a whole lot of money to suppliers and had no income. And so we put our house on the market, we um, did a crowdfund, so we offered shares in our company to our customers. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, how the lockdown sent the Ingrid Starnes label to the brink and how the pandemic shook up the industry. This is such new territory. We've been involved in retail all our lives and we've never seen this type of disruption. From New Zealand made to mass produced. Trends that we hadn't anticipated, such as the kind of sugar rush that New Zealand's been experiencing since lockdown. What's ahead? I guess that's the most interesting part for us and our clients. It's the kind of retail that we'd identified was working overseas and here. That's Simon Pound, Managing Director of Ingrid Starnes, the label named after his partner, the fashion designer famous for her floaty frocks. He's talking about the tantalising allure of the billion-dollar shopping centre in downtown Auckland, Commercial Bay. Like if you go to the Vulcan Lanes and the high streets uh, around New Zealand, they're very quiet. But if you go to a new big Westfield mall, there's thousands of people wandering around carrying bags. And it, it really fit in with this idea that we'd like to be close to a lot of our customers who are in the towers of professionals. Uh, and it was right beside Britomart, which is going to be a, a real centre for the city. Next to the ferry terminal, the cruise ships come in just around the corner. And it felt to us like the kind of centre of retail that would really work. They signed the lease, borrowed more money, ordered extra stock to fill their stores. It was going to be a celebration of 10 years in business. <laughs> we very quickly realised that we were in trouble. So we'd gone out and talked to suppliers, uh, increased the amount of stock we made. And then with being closed for um, the period of the lockdown, we ended up losing most of the season. Uh, and so fashion is... Um, Fashion's a perishable good, so you know you you kind of have very short seasons to achieve any margin back off your clothes. So it might arrive in February, you might then have four to six weeks to get full margin, and then the sales cycle start, and then the next season's clothes start arriving. And so we had this kind of perfect storm of having taken on extra debt, being at kind of the end of our normal um, limits, being at the edge of what we could really achieve with our suppliers, uh, and then. We were closed and so we couldn't sell anything at all. And it doesn't take many weeks of your overheads going out. So um, Commercial Bay were amazing with, with um, rent reductions and with working with all of the people inside the centre. But yeah, there are a lot of kind of bills if you have a um, 10 plus person and a three lease business with a lot of moving parts. And so it doesn't take long with no income coming in all of your wholesale orders for next season cancelled for everything in the kitty to, to be run down. And so the debt we'd taken on to try and ride out the first few months, just in case, disappeared very quickly. How quickly? <laughs> Within five weeks, we were in a position where we were kind of out of cash, had heaps of stock. Our uh, projections said that it was very unlikely we'd be able to get any margin back off that stock because every other retailer was in the same boat yeah. where they couldn't sell. And so everyone would be in a position where they had a lot of stock 
new season stock to come in, they just have to clear what they had in order to make room for what came. Uh, a lot of other New Zealand fashion businesses make overseas, and so they would have even less ability to um, slow down production and the like because they would have put their orders in earlier. And so all the stuff's coming over, you know, it's arriving. You have to clear the old stock. And so, yeah, we looked at it and went, oh, boy, we're not going to get um, much margin off this. All your stuff is made here? Yes. Which is kind of lovely. But so, but what happens in this situation? I mean, what what, what did you tell them? Because oh, well, I mean, every, <laughs> everyone was in the same boat. And so... Um, we realised very quickly that if we weren't going to get margin and we had these responsibilities with the stores, that we were going to have difficulty making another season because you have to make more stock to keep having stuff to sell in the store. Uh, but we're at the edge of all of our... Um, we had a whole lot of stock, owed a whole lot of money to suppliers um, and had no income at all coming in. And so we put our house on the market. We um, went out and did a crowdfund. We offered shares in our company to um, to our customers. And that was April, about April the 30th? Yeah, yeah, yeah there You launched a Pledge Me campaign. Mm. Yeah. But by the time we got it up, um, the lockdown was really biting and our books were pretty pretty horrible, you know. Like we had nearly $500,000 of debt with 300 and something thousand being kind of stock that would normally be cycled through in kind of a three to four month period but uh <laughs> but no everything was closed and so the crowdfund was was ultimately unsuccessful um we had an auction because people's situations may have changed and also the numbers didn't look great we were projecting a couple of years of very uncertain trading um and so we'd put very conservative numbers in our pledge me investment memorandum because we, we really wanted to make sure people knew all of the risks of, of investing in, in business. Right, and what was your goal for, the, for that? 200000 So we'd, we'd worked out that if we got 200000 of um, cash and then also were able to pretty much match that ourselves, we'd be able to kind of ride it through for a year or two. What did you achieve? Uh, 120000 was pledged, but the way Pledge Me funds go is unless you reach your 200000 or whatever your minimum is, you don't take a dollar. So... You know, um, fashion's a really funny business where everyone pretends to be incredibly kind of um, glamorous and successful, but they're small businesses, you know, and um, we've been probably very good for the general economy over the last 10 years. We pay rent on main streets and employ a bunch of people and make clothes here, but terrible for our own economy, and so <laughs> we, we don't really pay ourselves... Um, uh, Ingress far below um, market rate. I don't take a wage. You it's know, a labour like, of love. Uh, yeah, we feel very lucky to have done it. But the numbers, you know, it's not it's not a very profitable business to make no. clothes in New Zealand. Uh, um, over that time, were you doing any selling online? Because what I noticed during that period is that the few fashion retailers that I'm signed up to online started really pushing sales and really pushing their product online. Were you doing the same kind of thing? So we weren't an essential business. I, th I don't think we were. I, you know, made in New Zealand fashion is lovely, but it's not. <laughs> you know, in, a, in, a, in, in that, toilet paper. In that, in that moment, it didn't feel uh, right to be going out as an essential business. So we, we couldn't trade. Yeah, and, and so what happened was um, the house went to auction, didn't get a single bid, not even um, at twenty percent below um, CV. <laughs> uh, the crowdfund didn't work, and so we'd been really open the whole time through this process. You know, we'd done media, we tried everything we could to get it over the line. But yeah, we, we then went to our landlords and our staff and our suppliers and said, we've tried everything, it's not working, we can't make another season with so much stock sitting here, 
without knowingly getting into a situation where we expect to still be trading while insolvent after September 2021, which was the, the safe harbour time. Um, so there was just no, no way to have enough free profit to pay down the debts while also making new things. And so we worked out that it would be reckless trading and irresponsible to make another season. So that meant that we couldn't keep being in retail stores because we need to have new stock coming through or else <laughs> there's no way you can... Um, you can keep that going. Yeah, because the thing about Ingrid Starnes is you've got a really good name out there. You're kind of almost international, really. The brand has been so successful. I mean, Jacinda Ardern has worn it. The Kiwi fashion brand say they're thrilled after seeing Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern grace the cover of Time magazine in a silk top they made her two and a half years ago. So did that not make any difference? It wasn't enough? Well, I think, you know, we got hit in a bit of a perfect storm, um, you know, the, there was a lot going on at that moment for everyone in the country um, and a lot of job losses happening and a lot of uncertainty and everyone was enforced lockdown at home. Like, it was a very, very serious period. And um, I, I think had this happened when we were back to level one and, you know, people saw that the world was going to get moving again, maybe we would have got there. Because we had, we had more expressions of pre-interest than what materialised in the campaign by quite a significant margin. But I think the the combination of the the debt being so high, the inability to trade um, and the the climate at the time, it's totally understandable Mm. that that people weren't in a position to um, do it and it didn't look like a very good investment. And that's totally, totally understandable. So the Landlords Commercial Bay were really great and helped us move to a um, limited time store, and so we were able to um, then start an end of retail sale. Where we went out and told everyone, "Look, you know, we tried, nothing worked. We can't keep going in our retail because we can't make another season." And we've received amazing um, support, and feel really lucky for the way that. Yeah, customers and friends and, and, and the people around the business and the suppliers. Because the other thing is, I feel, with fashion, is you can't get away from these... There seems to be endless articles about the sweatpant craze. Mm. And I guess it's because that's what everybody's wearing at the moment because they're not going out or, mm. you know, maybe in New Zealand they're starting to go out more. But so does that change the way, you know, what you decide to make? Ingrid Starnes? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at kind of the main drivers of our business new item sales, it would be people having a big event in their life. So maybe they've got a conference or a big day at work or um, a wedding that they go to. So you look at kind of the big drivers of, of what get people to go out and buy themselves a nice new made in New Zealand um, garment because it is a real treat and little luxury, a made in New Zealand garment. You don't go out and buy a um, silk dress um, just to pop down to the shops and, you know, like you do it because it's got a bit of a sense of um, event and occasion to it. And if you look at the kind of environment, it's going to be a wee while before there's whole-scale weddings and conferences and, and all the rest of it. So it makes total sense that people would rather be buying, like, maybe a blouse that will look good on a Zoom call and then wearing some, you know, it's been a big year for elasticated pants, you know, like, that's, and that's totally, totally reasonable, you know. Nothing wrong with elasticated pants because they clearly kept even some high-end brands in business. But with the surprise post-lockdown shopping spree New Zealanders went on, did Ingrid Starnes pull out of their stores too soon? 
well, they wouldn't have necessarily known what was ahead. Perhaps there could have been some golden weather for the brand, particularly as we've seen this captive spending that's been driving a kind of phenomenon through the country. Chris Wilkinson is head of First Retail Group Consultants. He says it's not all doom and gloom for fashion retailers as customers drop their tracky pants for something a bit dressier. We knew that retail was in a fairly resilient state in terms of its preparedness around digital. So over the last two to three years, we've had the the threat of Amazon uh, in our marketplace. So Amazon's moved into the Australian market. It's grown its presence and its capability in, throughout Australia. So we knew that they ultimately will make a play for the New Zealand market somewhere down the line. New Zealand retailers weren't hugely competent in terms of, of online, and that meant that we were in a fairly vulnerable situation. Well, Fast forward to last year, and we kind of went from a zero to hero situation with many of the large retailers. They'd certainly upped their game, a lot of best practice going on, and um, that put the smart retailers in a really good position to do their very best in terms of that COVID situation when people could only trade online. Online sales have boomed for the fashion retailer Hallenstein's Glassons, with digital now making up close to a third of all sales. The group reported a robust full-year profit of $27.8 million, down only slightly on last year's $29 million, despite the COVID-19 lockdowns in New Zealand and Australia. We've got to remember that Hallenstein Glassons consumers are digital natives by nature and by age. They are uh, adept at, at these new shopping channels. In fact, in many cases, their preference is often for, for online. So Hallenstein Glassons had recognised that. They had equipped their facilities for that, their marketing. Everything played into their hands beautifully in terms of how they were able to respond and, and deliver. You weren't surprised when you saw that result? Not at all. They are quite closely attuned with their market. You know, a good example of that would be the recognition of the fact that many of their consumers are now, you know, focusing on the environment, focusing on sustainability. Um, some of their recent campaigns, you know, focusing on vintage. Vintage is a key theme for that, for those age groups. So they really are uh, kind of aligned with their market and aware and looking forward. But it's obviously a really mixed picture. Yes, it's a very, very much of a mixed picture. We've been surprised downstream at how successful some of the luxury sectors have been, segments. The apparel sector, in general, retailers have been doing quite well because of things like the wage subsidies, consumer appetite's been strong, people have been re-diverting spending examples such as Catherine Wilson where she's seen huge a huge outpouring of goodwill for her brand even though it's cost her more to bring products in and potentially she's had to charge more but people have really wanted to support those local brands I, I, we've been watching some of the retailers in Wellington who've been benefiting from a wow that hasn't happened and yet people kept those bookings for those hotels and those flights they've made a weekend of it. They've come down and spent. And it's fascinating that, you know, talking to a number of businesses, uh, for instance, last Friday was 50% busier than the Friday before. You're talking about world of wearable art. And 
uh, that's obviously a big event for Wellington. So what are you, you're saying that people came to Wellington anyway for the trip. They used their money from the cancelled tickets and instead of putting it back in the bank, they went out spending in shops in Wellington. And that kind of resonated right throughout the retail and the hospitality sector. So, you know, we are seeing again, what we probably call phenomenons, these things that have probably caught us by surprise and, and have been a nice surprise for the retail sectors. Yeah, and, and one of the things that Simon Pound talks about from Ingrid Starnes is that people's spending habits have changed. Instead of spending season to season, people just go out shopping anytime. And, you know, we've also seen this, again, disruption in what people are wearing. So through lockdown... People weren't needing to dress up. Uh, they weren't needing to, 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 to go out and buy expensive clothes. They were quite happy mooching around. Fast forward to now where things are becoming even more competitive in the working environment, so people are starting to up their game. So suits are starting to sell again. People are starting to, to recognise that they need to be looking sharper and more competitive. So, again, it's a very dynamic space that we're sitting in at the moment, and it's, it's fascinating being able to watch it. But, you know, I mean, the thing is, Chris, that we still see a lot of mass-produced clothing out there, don't we? We do, and there will always be a market for mass-produced clothing. But as our younger consumers are coming through, and again, you know, we're looking at, the, at how Hallenstein Glasses have interpreted this. The younger consumers are focused on sustainability. They want to know where the clothing is coming from. Equally, they don't want to be paying a huge amount for that clothing. In some cases, prepared to pay some premium, but not a lot. If you're giving advice to different clients and stuff, I mean, what are you telling them? What, what's it going to be like, say, this time next year? Is Ponsonby Road going to be full of for lease signs? You know, are the high streets, which are, seem to already be suffering, is it going to be worse for them and these commercial bay-type shopping centres are just going to take over? We'll see the strong destinations get stronger. We will see secondary locations suffer. We will see retailers look to rationalise their store portfolios where they may have overlaps of, of branches. We'll see more encouragement to shop online and stores that remain will become... Retailers will focus on delivering the very best experiences and the best representation of their brands. What we're saying to our clients around the world at the moment is to make sure that you are talking to your customers every hour of every day, making sure that you are understanding how your market is changing, what the needs and the expectations, the aspirations are, and to make sure that your business is able to have that agility to be able to respond quickly and that you can represent that you are delivering what your customers are looking for. And so a, a little business like Ingrid Stance, which has a very good profile, but it is a small business and it makes its clothes in New Zealand. What's its future? Its future is around working with other complementary type brands, being able to develop retail environments that are clustered so that people come to a certain destination, they feel confident that they're going to get a good range of products, they're going to be inspired. The, the collaboration, so the likes of Karen Walker that we see who's collaborating with other types of brands and designers, this is all about developing a kind of a culture that people buy into, and that will give the strength to these independent, smaller and artisan businesses. Thank you.
what we're going to do is we're going to go out and only produce what people want. And so we're going to have some form of making the samples and then treating our customers and the people around the label in the same way that people currently treat wholesalers. So you actually go out to them with your samples and say, what would you like? And then by doing that and only producing what you know you need to produce and by not having retail and all of those costs, we can actually bring the accessibility of the price of the garments down quite a lot. And so we've got a couple of goals. We want to make the price more accessible because um, made in New Zealand fashion with all of the old kind of business model things gets very expensive very quickly. Um, we want to not operate an unsustainable fashion business where you just make lots of stuff speculatively and hope that you'll sell it all, mm. which is kind of where you're just running this debt fueled, always growing you know, um, a model. And then to not overproduce, so only make what is actually wanted. What's your feeling? Do you think the whole retail and fashion retailing has changed forever? I think this is a really great moment for a wake-up call about what's important to people, and we've really seen that, like the businesses that people have chosen to support through the lockdown. I think it's been a really great moment for a bit of transparency in business, and so we've been very transparent, like more transparent than it feels comfortable to be at all, <laughs> but we're going to continue that because I think the whole model of fashion has been unsustainable both environmentally but also financially in that, you know, we're trying to run these um, businesses where you're operating against these huge factory operations overseas that you know, uh, using exploitative labour and, you know, terrible fabrics and the rest of it. And people's um, e expectation of what clothes should cost has come down so far below what you can sustainably make clothes for and can sustainably run a business for that it's a really great opportunity for people to go, this is actually what things cost and this is actually what's involved. And if you if you want to support that, that that's, what, that's what this is. And so, yeah, there's this great bit of kind of internet wisdom, which is, Every dollar you spend is a vote for the kind of world you want to live in. And I think that that's been really coming to the fore lately as people have seen that they can choose to curate the businesses that they want to survive. That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The details brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Simon Pound and Chris Wilkinson. Mā te wā. 